traveling the world searching for equestrians of all breeds. The journey starts now on the International Equine Network. Good afternoon, equestrians. This is Scott Miller coming to you live from Delray Beach, Florida. Sunny, rainy, warm Delray Beach, Florida. And it's warm everywhere. And speaking of being warm, guess what happened in the horse business this week and today in particular? Extreme heat forces numerous racing cancellations. You know, the, the, the wind, the weather, um, everything, all, all year long has been up and down. Uh, Woodbine and Laurel Park, Ellis Park, Colonial Downs, and Belterra um, have announced that they are po- uh, postponing racing uh, due to the weather. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, over the weekend. Uh, some of the tracks are scheduling for Monday and Tuesday racing. And, um, well, it depends on the weather. It just depends on the weather. But when you have uh, the heat that we have, uh, you know, uh, throughout the country and up and down the East Coast and the weather, uh, you know, that, that type of thing, um, you know, we've got to take in the safety of the, of the horses and the people that are involved. And um, a few years back, we had a situation uh, to where the heat uh, was getting to an extreme point um, of, of um, you know, I mean, it was just it was as bad as it was now. And you couldn't even uh, transport the horses, uh, even not even at nighttime. The temperatures were uh, still pretty high, and you know it was rough on them. So uh, that's what it's all about: is the safety of the horses and the people that are involved in it. And you know, we hope everybody you know is taking the precautions and drinking plenty of water, you know, to uh, take care of themselves, you know, and the horses. So um, you know, that's what we're looking at this weekend. Um, you know, cancellations. They will be re- rescheduled um, on, on their card, but it's Woodbine, Laurel Park, Ellis Park, Colonial Downs, and Belterra will be um, uh, canceling racing for this weekend. So, um, you know, I just want to tell you that uh, safety is the first thing on our minds. And speaking of um, safety, we've got a lot of good things going on uh, throughout the country with um, the new HISA programming there. They're adjusting and they're modifying their programs to uh, accommodate, um, you know, the, the industry. Uh, it's a it's a slow uh, slow walk uh, of uh, the rules and regulations, but it's a necessary one. Yeah, it's a necessary. One. We want to give a good product uh, to the uh, racing industry. Uh, we want to make sure that the horses are safe and the people are safe, and everybody's going by the rules and everything. And and you know, it's kind of hard to get um, the rules and regulations, you know, uh, all on the same page. Uh, the same rules and regulations throughout the country and every state makes it very difficult, you know, to do. And, I, and I'll tell you how important uh, that um, this the horse industry is to us, like we were talking about last week. Uh, for example, uh, the University of Kentucky uh, survey finds that 31,000 equine enterprises in the state of Kentucky alone. Um, when you start looking at, you know, uh, wherever they, uh, you know, they're at, you're talking about uh, all breeds of horses. Uh, you're looking at um, 210,000 uh, equine people uh, reside in the state of Kentucky, 31,000 different operations, over 900,000 acres in the state of Kentucky alone. Um, the, 2022 Kentucky Equine Survey, which looks at all breeds as well as donkeys and mules, uh, and I got a couple of those, a couple of those mules racing, I think, in, in my barn, uh, estimates that the total value of the state equine-related uh, assets uh, is $27.7 billion, and that's an estimated equine-related sales and income for the equine operations in the state of Kentucky. Also reached 2.1 billion. Uh, thoroughbreds are listed as a majority breed by number, 48,500, followed by 35,000 quarter horses. Um, you know, it, it's it's just amazing what they have. You know, they're the organizations that uh, that are uh, involved with all these uh, horses. Uh, they want to improve uh, equine health care, educate, inform state state and local policymakers, inform inform workforce development, 
aid in supporting proposals for business ventures and grants and identify emerging markets. It's a, it's a thing that every state wants to do, needs to do. Uh, you know, it's just uh, very important to our economy. Very, very important to our economy. Um, I'm going to switch over here to the Florida uh, horse industry that uh, has done pretty much the same thing. And, um, Florida is the home to nearly every breed of horse. As a result, the equine industry supports a wide variety of activities, including breeding, training, racing, polo, rodeo, competitive show horses, uh, like dressage, cross-country, show jumping, and trail and pleasure riding. And it's very important to us here. And at all levels, uh, horse lovers are drawn to Florida year-round, moderate climate, mineral-rich water, um, soil, and outstanding facilities strong support of the industry. And, you know, that, that's one good thing about here in Florida. Um, you know, we do have good weather year-round. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of, of um, uh, facilities here. Uh, one of them is the World Equestrian Center in Ocala. It's a huge facility. They've got everything that you can imagine there uh, to see and know about the horses. you got the Winter Equestrian Festival here in West Palm Beach. Uh, you've got uh, horse racing in uh, Gulfstream Park uh, in Miami, uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, it's just unbelievable, uh, you know, the horse things that you can do uh, down here. Uh, everything is horse-related. Um, the economic impact the horse industry, including industry suppliers, generates an annual uh, income of $6.8 billion uh, as an economic impact one of the gross uh, domestic product of Florida, uh, total uh, in Florida. Uh, total employment figures add up to about 244,000 jobs. Uh, it's just amazing, you know, that the, the jobs that these create. And all these 244,000 jobs, you're buying, you know, uh, food at, at, uh, at the Publix, Winn-Dixie. Um, you know, they're, they're supporting our gas stations, uh, our grocery stores, you name it, uh, they, they're doing it. Uh, that's a lot of people that's supporting our, our economy here. Uh, with a horse population of 385,000 horses, Florida ranks as the third largest equine state in the United States. Horse ownership, equine associations, and profit-making organizations, plus tourism spending by riders uh, and, and spectators combined $11.7 billion annually to our economy here. Um, the Ocala breeder sales recorded over $1 billion uh, in thoroughbred horse sales um, in, in, from 20, 2010 to 2018. So over an eight-year period, you know, you're looking at a billion dollars missing horse sales alone. Um, you know, it's just phenomenal what they do there. Uh, our agricultural business climate here in Florida, um, there's no personal state income tax, no individual capital gains tax, no tax on stallion seasons. Horses are exempt from sales tax if purchased from the original owner. Feed uh, and animal health products along with uh, other specific items uh, are also exempt from uh, the state sales tax. Uh, Florida Greenbelt, uh, uh, Greenbelt exemption provides property tax breaks for the horse farms. Uh, certain farm equipment and, and also it will be exempt from sale tax and receive special treatment. Uh, moderate climate allows for year-round farming, training, and racing and showing. Uh, Florida ranks as a national leader in veterinarian and equine research. Over 70,000 acres of land in Florida uh, it's used for horse-related purposes. Limestone-rich soil and spring-fed uh, aquifers contribute to the growth of strong, healthy horses. And having said that, there's only three places in the world that um, you can take the water and, and the land. Uh, it's pretty much the same. Um, one is uh, Lexington, Kentucky, Florida, and Chantel, France. The limestone is unbelievable, and they create some of the best 
uh, growing uh, environments for and raising horses in there. Um, the first for, uh, horse farm in Florida was established in Ocala in the 1930s. In the 1950s, a thoroughbred horse named Needles became the first triple crown winner. It was in a home here in Florida. Um, you know, and it's just, it just goes to show you that there's a lot of things that, that are here. Um, we've got a nice, uh, we got a nice uh, Florida horse park here. Um, they're really putting a lot of money into and, and getting, you know, people to come out and visit. And they have that. Um, the, uh, you know, climate uh, lines in the Kentucky horse park, uh, you know, uh, the same programs, uh, showing horses, you know, uh, experimenting with, uh, um, new types of businesses there. Uh, it's everything, you know, there in, in the horse park. Uh, you know, I, I was really surprised when I went up there. Uh, it's a multi-service facility with RV facility, a spacious covered arena, 12 barns, four all-weather outdoor riding arenas, uh, cross-country course, and, and, and good facilities all the way around. It, it's just really nice. There. You know, I, I like it. Uh, Florida is the home to over 600 thoroughbred horse farms and training centers. And over 1,300 thoroughbred owners, breeders, and trainers live there. Um, there are approximately 100,000 thoroughbreds in Florida. Um, one out of every four horses uh, are, are thoroughbreds. And more than 75% are located in Ocala, uh, Florida. Uh, the breeders and owners alone have contributed to multi-million, uh, multi-billion-dollar investments in Florida. Um, Florida produced a Triple Crown winner, uh, one Triple Crown winner, six Kentucky Derby winners, seven Preakness winners, six Belmont winners, 52 national champions, and 167 equine millionaires. So that, that says a lot, you know, here uh, just just in thoroughbred end up. Um, the quarter horse uh, breed has become the most fa uh, famous uh, horse breed in North America. Florida, with the third largest quarter horse population in the country, sanctions 22 disciplines in an annual quarter horse uh, event, generating a large economic and recreational impact. Uh, events including cutting, reining, barrel racing, and a number of roping events. Those roping events are really good. And then, unfortunately, you know, I, we get to inherit from the Santa brand uh, industry. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of gone by the wayside here. They closed up Pompano Park uh, uh, this year, and uh, so there's no more uh, harness racing uh, in the state. Uh, but uh, we do have uh, some uh, breeding farms, there's 50 breeding farms. Uh, training facilities designated exclusively for uh, standard red racing. Uh, South Florida to Bell, Florida, and, and North Florida. Uh, Pompano, like I said, Park was uh, just recently closed. And, and that was there since 1964. And, and that was the tough, tough thing about seeing that go. Um, you know, it was very difficult. The um, Florida Cracker Horse. It's a rare breed of horse uh, brought to Florida by the Spanish in the 1500s. The settlement screwed the horses known uh, for their speed and agility were used primarily for rooting cattle. Uh, the genetic heritage of the Florida Cracker Horse is similar to uh, the Pasifino and the Mustang and other breeds originally introduced uh, by the Spanish into Cuba, the Caribbean islands, and South America. Florida farm farmers nicknamed them the Cracker Horses because of the sound of their uh, cow whips they used uh, to drive cattle with. Um, in the 1930s, ranchers and cowmen uh, turned to the larger and stronger quarter horse. Uh, and as a result, the Cracker Horse uh, survival uh, faced dire extin extinction. Thanks to the work of the Florida family farmers, and members of the Florida Cracker Association to continue to breed the Florida horse for their own use. Um, the breeds survive. Uh, although still, still rare, there are over 
a thousand cracker horses in the state of Florida. Um, so, you know, it's just so silly. Everybody is trying to uh, make the horse um, in their state, in their area, uh, you know, a, a place of, of, of um, employment, uh, work, tradition, you know, history. Uh, it's just amazing. And, and I have a hard time explaining to a lot of people because I'm not a real professional, you know, in what I'm doing here now, but I've got a lot of knowledge. And uh, that knowledge is the fact that uh, the, the horse industry to the United States uh, from, uh, from the, the United States as a whole to each individual state uh, to each local community, the horse has an impact on our economy. And it's very important. It's very important to, uh, you know, support and have these uh, shows and, the, and these uh, races and and, um, you know, these farms going because it supplies jobs, uh, you know, here. Um, just to give you an example, uh, the horse industry uh, in the United States contributes $122 billion uh, annually to the U.S. economy. Now, the U.S. horse industry employs 1.74 million people. 1.74 million people in the United States work in the horse industry. There's 7.25 uh, um, million horses in the U.S. Texas is the largest horse population per state. 1.6 million households in the U.S. own horses. Now, that, you can think about that. A million 600,000 people in the United States own horses. 60% of the equestrians work uh, um, in a managerial position. Uh, you know, that says a lot when you're talking about all these people. You know, you're talking about uh, farm managers, uh, you know, office help. Uh, you know, it's just um, it's just amazing how, how they did it. Um, the horse industry, like I said, is $122 billion annually in the U.S. economy. Um, the direct contribution to GDP is $50 billion. Total employment impact is 1,744,000 people. Uh, direct employment impact is 988,000 people. The number of horses uh, is now over 7.2 million in, in the United States. So when we start looking at the different states that uh, uh, we have here, here's a quick overview of the horse industry's impact on the GDP. Um, the highest ranked one is Kentucky. Uh, it's just uh, phenomenal what they have there. Uh, they've got 238,000 horses in Kentucky. Oklahoma uh, is great number two. They've got 252,000 uh, in their state. Uh, but they're, they're in a GDP and uh, uh, 178 million, where Kentucky is 195. Um, then we have Florida. Uh, we have New York is the lowest, California, and Illinois. So it just goes to show you that a lot of uh, people that are in the horse business, you know, um, could be working right there. You, you, you know, you never can tell. You might have uh, somebody that you work with or your neighbor that's, you know, part of the horse business. Um, you know, that, that's one of the things that uh, we were, were looking at. Um, and then we come out and we look at. Uh, uh, just for example, in, in the horse business, you know, there's uh, volunteers that work in, in volunteering in horse-related uh, programs, a million three hundred seventy thousand people. Total employment is a million seven hundred forty-four thousand people. Direct employment's nine hundred eighty-eight. With direct wages, direct wages now thirty-eight billion. Just in wages coming out to the, uh, you know, the people in the horse industry. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, it's hard to, to talk about all these different things that, uh, you know, when, when you're in a horse business, because nobody ever sits down and really talks about it. The more uh, talking about who's going to uh, show Saturday or who's going to race Saturday, you know, that type of thing. But it's very important. And the reason I'm kind of giving, you know, roughly giving you all these statistics and everything is to make you realize that, um, um, you know, 
the situation that we're in here um, and how important it is. Uh, and the reason that um, we're doing this, you know, this rough brief here, is to let everybody know that everybody is contributing in the horse business to our economy. And so now, um, you know, we, we go into uh, talking about uh, safety, uh, like at, at the Kentucky Derby, they had, uh, you know, several horses uh, break down and had to be put down. Uh, several tracks around the country over the years have done that and, and everything. So, you know, realizing the, the importance of the horse industry to our economy brings us around to uh, the safety of the horse and the people that are around it. And there's a uh, new system out called HISA. Um, they monitor uh, uh, the programs, uh, medications, uh, um, everything that has to deal with the horses, from the, the people working on the backside or in the barns, on the farms, uh, you know, at the racetracks. Um, they came together and they said, you know, what can we do to make the horse industry better than it is now? And so it pretty much uh, was decided that we need to have a universal rules package. And a lot, everybody always says, when they say Heisen, they say, oh, well, it's about medication. No, it's Heisen is about the, the, the whole nine yards. It's about everything that we're doing in the horse industry uh, that's got, that needs to be regulated, which it always has been. But it's just a matter of implementing, the, you know, the programs. And a lot of people complained about it, you know, that type of thing. And, and uh, you know, because it was new and something different. And, and what I like about it is is everything is all on one page. You know, at, well, actually, it's like a 300 and some odd page uh, regulation book. But the, the whole point is, is that we all have the same rules and regulations in Florida as they do in Kentucky, New York, California. Anywhere in the U.S., they have to go by the rules and regulations. And I like that because once you get uniformity and consistency, then you can get your product and your operation more efficient. And that's what it's always about. And that's what we've always talked about here is getting on that efficient, uh, you know, train and, and getting your program together. And, and when you come, come to the racetrack or to the showgrounds or, you know, to the farms or, you know, wherever you go where the horse operations are at, you go in and it's the same thing. you got people of responsibility that are identified that you can put your finger on. Uh, for example, you've got, uh, you know, a person that's in charge of medication, uh, you know, along with the vet, uh, you know, uh, that type of thing. Uh, the people that are in charge of making sure the barn is safe and secure. Uh, making sure that the employees are, you know, doing the right thing. It, it gives you a, a, a system to where you can point your finger, you know, if there's something wrong. You can, it gives you like a paper trail, you know, if, if, if something happens. I will say, let's say a, a horse comes up and tests positive for a medication. Well, if you go through your, your chart, you know, your paper trail, you'll find out, well, was it the hot walker or the groom? No, it wasn't that. Was it transport people? No, it wasn't that. Um, you know, was it uh, the jockey or the rider? No, it wasn't that. Um, was it the assistant trainer, the barn manager? Um, was it this? Uh, was it the the trainer? Uh, was it the vet? You know, and it eliminates a lot of things. And that's what I like about um, you know having a program like that. It, it creates an environment of somewhat of uh, you know. Um, protected horse. You're protecting the horse with, with this system. Uh, you're protecting the, uh, uh, the spectators, the, the people that uh, watch the racing and the shows. They know that they're getting a good product, if, you know, a fine product. And that's what it's all about in the business is making sure that you get, you know, the right thing at the right time and, and you know who's doing what. And, and not saying that you're looking to point the finger or blaming anybody, but you're just chasing down, you know, what it could possibly be. And, and that's the main thing, you know, now is safety of the horse, uh, a quality product to the, to the general public, 
uh, you know, safety for their workers, um, protecting the investment of the owners. Uh, that's one thing I like about Heiser. Uh, it, it protects the, uh, uh, the owners uh, and, and the money they invest into the horse, uh, making sure they're getting the right, uh, you know, the right program, the right schedule, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. And back in the Derby, we had with Forte was was the favorite for the Derby, and they came out and he was scratched. He was scratched from the Derby, and everyone's oh well, you know, it's probably drugs, probably this. No, the horse had a stone bruise, and the horse uh, everything—it's like us bruising our foot. You know, every time he he put his foot down, there was a little problem, an issue. Um, and previous people raced horses with sore feet. You know, and, and it's not—it's not a good thing to do for the horse, or for the public, or for the owner. And and so that's what you know we we take a look at things like. That. And in fact, they're still—they're still determining, uh, you know, on some horses what what have happened. And uh, Forte I'll race in the Jim Dandy um, this weekend, and uh, we'll see just what kind of what kind of foot he had. The layoff probably helped him. You know, that's what we're looking at. Uh, to do these things, and you, you know, anytime you do anything, you want to see quality. Like, like say a NASCAR, you want to make sure all the safety uh, things are in place. And, you know, for NASCAR, not only for the for the uh, for the drivers, but the pit crews, um, you know, the owners of the cars and the fans. And, and so now that our society is starting to wrap their heads around, you know, the way we live, and we're going back to getting quality. We're going back to getting quality in everything we do. I don't care whether it's uh, horse racing, uh, horse showing, uh, breeding, um, you know, a, a restaurant, uh, you know, going to Walmart. You want to get that quality, and you want to make sure that the rules and regulations are followed by everybody involved because then that gives you a great uh, service, uh, quality service, and a great product. And we have to do that to protect our horse industry. Which in over the past few years, in my opinion, you know, has kind of gone down to the wayside. And, and what we need to do is we need to get all the people that are that are cutting corners, you know, trying to, uh, you know, uh, you know, get to the winner's circle, you know, by cutting corners. Uh, uh, you know, we want to get those kind of people out of there, and you get the real deal people in there. And, and I'll be honest with you, the Kentucky Derby is the exact. It's a perfect example, and, and I've been I've been in many of them, involved in many of them in my career, and I tell you what, you got 20 horses starting in that field, and there's a lot of horses that really shouldn't be in that field. It's a, they're outclassed, they're, you know, it's just it's just not going to happen. And, and a lot of people say, well, well you can't say that because then you look at a horse like Smart Strike. You know that they had, um, you know, a long shot wins. Uh, you know that that will happen occasionally, but not all the time. Usually, the statistics prove you know what horses are there, and, and they, uh, you know, they get out of it. Uh, but you know, the whole thing is is reality. Uh, back when I first started coming around the track in the in the uh, early '80s. Uh, the, the Derby was not, you know, there weren't 20 horses. Um, I even know one guy that uh, moved across from me. Uh, he had the horses, ran the slowest Derby ever. And he just got in because he had the money and, you know, he, he wanted to say he ran in a Derby. And, and uh, so, you know, that, that, these are the things that we're trying to, you know, uh, get a hold of and make it good. So basically what I've said in this last half hour is that the horses are important. They contribute a lot of uh, economic impact to each state and to the country. Provides jobs. Provides, um, you know, uh, clients for the Burger Kings and the Walmarts and, you know, the banks and the housing industry. You know, so they're very important. and. and I mean, really important because of the mass numbers that, that they have. And that we want to make sure that the products that are going out there, be it a show horse or, or um, you know, race horse or, 
you know, the breeding industry, what have you. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, the horses are safe, the people that are working with the horses are safe, the things are running good and safe on the, on the farms uh, that will be there. Um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll give you a classic example uh, of where we stand at now in, in the horse industry, and particularly the thoroughbred industry. We got a lot of owners that are getting upset, you know, about rules and regulations and things that are going on, and some that are going to get out of the business, you know, and some that, you know, that um, are going to try to, you know, wiggle their way through, you know, the courts to get what they want done and everything. And so I, I'm involved in a situation uh, of knowing a lot of things. And one of the things that was interesting is training facilities. Training facilities are a unique uh, part of the thoroughbred industry. And everybody says, oh, well, you know, you can train at Gulfstream or Kentucky or Keeneland or Churchill or whatever. Yes, this is true. But there are some training facilities in the United States that exceed the quality of the tracks that are there, such as Gulfstream, Keeneland, Santa Anita, uh, you know, Belmont, and that type of thing. And one in particular facility here in, in the state of Florida um, has produced uh, three Kentucky Derby winners, multiple Breeders' Cup winners, multiple world champions, and multiple training titles. And it's just a little bitty old small track. People can't figure that out. But it's the way the system works. It's a quality track. It's a quality track. The, the people that had taken care of that track were second to none. They could, they could hold their own with anybody or any track in the country. And then all of a sudden, you come up and, uh, you know, the property uh, could be released uh, from the people that, are ha that had it. Uh, it could switch hands. It could do a lot of things. Or it could just be nothing. It could end up being nothing. You know, that nobody leases it. But it's that economic thing, you know, that, that we're looking at. And, but it's a quality, safe track. That's like Pompano. Uh, Pompano Park, the standard bread track, um, you know, they, they were play, the winter place to be for horses uh, in the wintertime. Had movie stars, had the Yankees, uh, uh, you know, uh, had their spring training camp next to Pompano and Oh, man, I tell you, you know, it was just a who's who when you went in there. Uh, movie stars, business people, athletes and everything. And it, and it survived for a long time. And then it started going downhill. And it, and it started going downhill. And it was kind of, in my opinion, it was kind of uh, Pompano's management that, that started going downhill because it, it comes to a time and point you got to realize the value of uh, uh, the value of the harness racing in Pompano, sure, it brought a lot of money to Pompano, uh, you know, with the, with the uh, owners, trainers, and the workers. But then all of a sudden they started looking at the casino. Casinos started getting their way in, wiggling their way in. And so it got to a point to where, um, you know, management of Pompano uh, went to uh, – you know, get a contract with a horseman, and they just couldn't get eye to eye on it. And Pompano knew, knew uh, that, uh, you know, the standard breads were not going to be able to, you know, uh, fork over a lot of money, as they say, you know, for the lease. And, and so they just made it difficult, and they literally, uh, you know, contracted them, you know, out uh, racing at Pompano. And, and so... Uh, you know, that happens, and that happens with thoroughbred tracks. We're looking at, uh, you know, we're looking up in Northern California, uh, you know, to the racing up there. It's always been good. You know, Golden Gate Fields was, was a small track and, and you know, had, had a good number of people there. But now they're closing that down, and, and what they're, they're hoping is the people from, from uh, Golden Gate Fields will go south down to Santa Anita, Del Mar, you know, that type of thing, and, and strengthen that, uh, their strength in numbers, and the more horses you have, the better fields that you'll have, and you'll have full fields, which they haven't had a lot in Southern California. 
from over the past few years. You know, that type of thing. Um, then you look at um, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky's got uh, three new harness tracks there. They're going to be just going great guns. Uh, they got Ellis Park with, uh, uh, under new management. Uh, they're doing really good. And in fact, when they stopped the Churchill meet because of injuries to horses on the track, they move it to Ellis Park, and Ellis Park is doing really good. You know, so that, that just goes to show you there's a way to protect our industry if you sit down and, you know, try to figure it out. And so uh, back to the training facilities. Um, over the years, I've seen a lot of training facilities go down to housing projects, um, you know, to uh, factories and, you know, things like that. We look at Hollywood Park out in California. It's gone. You know, uh, that, that was sad to see that go. It was a historical place for a lot of great horses over the years, you know, but the Hollywood Park's gone. Uh, you know, now we're looking up at um, Golden Gate Fields. It's going to be gone. Uh, you know, so and they're going by the wayside pretty quick, you know, but we got to remember we got to protect our, our industry because it's such a, a big part of our economic impact to wherever there's a horse facility at. Um, the World Equestrian Center in Ocala. It's one of the most beautiful facilities I've ever seen. Uh, they've got every kind of thing that you can imagine up there. They've got RVs. They've got housing. Uh, they've got um, a church. They've got a grocery store. Uh, they're building a lot of shops that they're going to have, uh, little mini equestrian mall type things. Uh, they do the same thing in, um, in Tryon, North Carolina. Uh, is really nice. Parker, Colorado is nice. Uh, of course, Saratoga is the place to be uh, because all the people that go to Saratoga, um, they file into Saratoga starting in April, uh, you know, and they're there until, you know, the end of September, 1st of October. And, I mean, it's really great there. The racing's great. And they got harness racing there, too. They got thoroughbreds. Uh, you know, they got a little bit of everything there. And so you see all these things happening, like the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington. Um, in the spring, uh, when you have uh, the Kentucky Derby uh, rolling around the first Saturday in May, uh, two weeks prior to that, uh, three weeks prior to that, uh, the Kentucky Derby, you have racing at Keeneland, you have the sales at Keeneland, you have the Kentucky Horse Park where you have three-day eventing, uh, the Rolex three-day event. Uh, which is, is just unbelievable. Uh, like I said, you have a thoroughbred sale there. Uh, then, and then you also have polo. You have some of the best polo in the world being played at Lexington, you know, in the spring. And then uh, you roll around to uh, Saratoga in the summertime, Del Mar. You know, like you see, by the sea, by the sea, by the beautiful sea, Del Mar is the place to be. And that's what's going on now. So, you know, we see all these things that are going on, and they're very important. And then what I like about it is you get all these, um, you know, you get all these uh, little stories that come along. And uh, since I got off the racetrack and kind of got out into like a, my retirement type thing, um, the stories everybody tells. Uh, the, the story that you worked with a horse that um, almost won the Kentucky Derby. Uh, you know, he almost won the Belmont, uh, you know, almost won the Rolex. And, you know, all these stories change over the years, you know. And that horse that won um, the Arlington Million, um, he went from winning it by half a length to winning it by five and a half easy. You know, so that's the great thing about, uh, you know, the horse industry. Everybody's got their story to tell. You know, and so what I like about where I'm at now, I'm fairly, I'm not an old, I'm not young, I'm not old. Um, I'm 66, and I'm involved in some partnerships on horses. And uh, there are m many, you know, little micro shares, um, you know, 1% or 2% type thing. But it's still a thing that's coming into the horse business. Um, and everybody can afford to get into that. You know, that, that's the type of thing uh, um, that you're looking at. And that's one that's... Uh, Thoroughbreds or show horses or standard breads or, you know, what have you. Everybody's a little part of it. And, and when you can go to the track as a horse owner 
it's a whole different ballgame. It's another level. Uh, you know, you're you're in the owner's boxes. You're you know, you get privileges, and and, and it's really well worth it. You know, and it's really helping you know boost the business, uh, the, the thoroughbred business, the show horse business. Uh, uh, you know, the whole whole nine yards. It's really good. And one of the stories, and, and I worked for this man for a few years. It's a really an interesting little story here. Ninety-one year old Gottwalds runs pair in stakes at Monmouth. This 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 commercial, uh, this is really good. This um, this is in, in the uh, Blood Horse uh, a few days ago. And it's this weekend that they're running. Uh, it wasn't until uh, he was 89 years old that Bill Poppy Gottwalds, the co-founder and uh, patriarch of Brookledge Horse Transportation, which is the best in the United States. They are the best quality, uh, professional people, horsemen, and they've been around a long time. Um, Poppy Gottwalds decided to buy his first horse uh, unaccompanied by a bloodstock agent or a vet. And acting entirely on his own, uh, which all those things right there, you know, are, are, are signs that no, 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 don't do that. Get somebody in there to tell you, oh, he looks good. No, he doesn't. Uh, you know, uh, you just, you, you got to have those people around you because it's a, it's a business thing, you know. But like I said, Poppy uh, got walls, you know, he, uh, he, he's been around a long time. He's got the best you know, horse transportation uh, company in the country, and now he's got his first horse. Um, it, it was, he was acting entirely on his own. He went to the 2021 team in November sales and picked out a weanling for $55,000. Five months later, again acting alone, approaching 90, he uh, picked up another filly, this time um, for $20,000 at the Ocala uh, Breeder's Spring sale of two-year-olds in training. So he went out and he watched the Phillies train, and he said, hey, I'll, take, I'll get on this one. So um, Saturday, uh, Mr. Gottwells will be in attendance at Monmouth Park to watch his, both his Phillies go in separate stake races on a 10-race card. First joke, a two-year-old daughter, a practical joke, and um, first horse that Gottwells ever purchased will try to parlay a debut uh, win in a main special weight at Delaware Park on June 3rd, which he did. Okay, now uh, they're coming back and, and they're looking at the mama folks, uh, you know, or the Delaware folks, and so they're trying to fix one, which way to go with this horse. And, and I'm telling you, these two horses are nice little horses that they have out here. Um, and the mama folks, uh, it's a $250,000 for Phillies. Uh, Foggy Knight drew a uh, post position form with uh, Paco Lopez, uh, trained by uh, Mr. Reed. And the horse is 4 to 1 and 12 favorites. $250,000, you know, on a $55,000 purchase. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And if you go to IEMTV.org, you'll be able to watch it live uh, on our um, on our featured race. First joke uh, is a 12 to 1. Um, He's, uh, Mr. Reed's got him in, and it's $100,000 for uh, her in. It's $100,000 for Philly two-year-olds um, that, that'll be uh, one, uh, five firm loans on the turf. So now all of a sudden you're looking at uh, a two-year-old Philly going to be, could be a stakes winner, you know, on Saturday evening, and, and you know, with these two horses. And I'm not saying that he didn't know horses. I mean, he's been around horses all his life. And everything, <laughs> you know, this, it might work. It just goes to show you that you can have all the experience in the world in the horse business, all the experience in the world, and then you got a guy like this that comes up, picks out two horses, making money with them, going to be stakes winners with them, you know. And you have that happen, you know. You you take a guy like um. Like D. Wayne Lucas, Todd Pletcher, Bob Baffert. You know, they did the same thing that he did. You know, he went out to the sales, he looked at something, something that caught his eye. You know, he couldn't tell you what it is. And if he didn't know what it was, he wouldn't tell you. 
you know. And now look at him. He's sitting, he's sitting up there ready to roll with these two horses. And and I and I like that about the horse business. That's one thing I've been telling people for a long time, a long, long time. The horse business can't write a book about it. They're trying. They've tried to write books about it, but there's no one way to do it. I don't care who it is, what it is. There's no one way to do the horse business. Uh, that's two horses, standard breeds, quarter horses, anything. Because if you could write a book on it, everybody would be writing a book, making a lot of money, and everybody be with it. But, you know, there's no, no, no room to fall. No room to fall. We'll see how, how they do, uh, you know, Saturday uh, on that uh, at the Monmouth Park. And races in, it's a ninth race at Monmouth Park. It's 420 Eastern time. Um, out there from uh, foggy night, and, and uh, see here in Mama Park, it would be the eighth race at 3:51 p.m. out there from uh, first first show, and we'll see how they do. Next week we'll let you know how they do it and what happened. Maybe we might call in Mr. Gottwald and see how something we could go on with it. But see, having said that, that just goes to show you you've got to go in and take a chance. It's like playing the lottery. You can't win if you're not if you're not in. And there's a certain guideline that oh yeah you know we could do this this and this with the horse and you know we got the best trainer we got the best jockey uh, you know we got the best feed we got the best everything. But when they open that gate you don't know what's going to happen. The same thing with the show horses and the standard bread. When you enter that show ring you do not know what's going to happen with these horses. You know, I, I'm I'm really surprised to see what goes goes on here Saturday. Um, one of the things that, um, that you know we're always looking for in our business is uh, support groups and things like uh, off the track thoroughbreds. Uh, you know, make sure that when they get through racing, they got a place to go, they got a job to do uh, with the standard breads and the, and the thoroughbreds and the things getting to a point now where We've got so many that are, you know, being retired. And to retire, what do you do with them? Um, you know, I've seen a lot of horses get retired, you know, and they go out to the floor and they say, oh, you know, oh, that's my nice something I'll do if you drive. You know, take it easy. And that's not, that's not the case. Um, a lot of them get really bored, uh, you know, out in the field because they're used to training, they're used to being around people every day. And so, the off-track thoroughbreds, you know, and a lot of the different um, associations are running them at the show board. And uh, some of the dressage horses uh, that are getting really good now are standard breeds. Um, they've got a uh, good turning point. Uh, they've got good speed between the, the uh, defenses. Dressage are really good at because they just float across. They just float across the surface. You know, the thoroughbreds are doing good. They're becoming good jumpers. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, some of these horse, uh, show horses are 8, 9, 10, 12 years old. So it gives them a purpose in life. And so we get a lot of people that are, uh, you know, helping out uh, create these programs for them. And then one of the other uh, charities or, you know, organizations that are, uh, that are out there, it's a, we have the, uh, on July 29th, um, this will be a good draw for people. We have jockeys contribute to the National Disability Day on July 29th. Our racetrack center participate in the promotions include uh, both Saratoga and Del Mar. So we got two of the best tracks in the country with two of the best racing programs on Slate for Saturday the 29th. Um, they're going to have these. Uh, and tell you all about it. Now, the Jockeys Guild and Permanently Disabled Jockey Fund, the PDGF, in conjunction with racetracks across America and across the United States, on Saturday, July 29th. Um, it's, it's unbelievable uh, what they'll be doing. They're going to pay tribute to the National uh, Disability. Independence Day and raise awareness in the funds for the PDJF. 
racetracks um, and jockey colonies that participate in the promotion include both Saratoga and Del Mar. Um, many tracks will host activities on Saturday, um, although some racetracks who did not race on, on uh, that day will participate on other days. Fans should check the local listings and the racetracks that are participating in this and for the exact name of events that they have. And throughout the day, fans of the industry and participants will be encouraged to contribute to the, um, the PDJF organization. Uh, it's a 501c3 uh, public charity with a large financial system uh, to approximately 60 former jockeys and suffered catastrophic or on-track injuries. Jockeys expected to participate in these various activities like the sport and PDJF while wearing armbands and ribbons saluting the National Disability Independence Day, which marks the 33rd anniversary of this passing of the American American Disabilities Act, passed by Congress in 1990, signed into law by President H.W. Bush in the ADA. Banned discrimination, disability, disability in all parts of the public and the life while improving the quality of life and, and, and measuring millions of disabilities. So you get there and you're going to see all the things that they're doing there at the track. And you know, that's one of the things that uh, I'm going to fail to mention here um, over the past couple of years is the strong. Uh, Union that we have in the horse industry uh, for medical attention and, and you know housing and food and education on on, on the racetrack and in the horse industry um, for a long time for a long time uh, the people and still pretty much today there's a lot of trainers and farms out there that aren't paying their uh, people very much money uh, you know to work. Uh, it's, it's minimum wage, you know, for a lot of them. That's, that's hard to live on minimum wage, you know, in, in this country today. But um, the industry as a whole has done pretty good. I know they've helped me a lot with, with my cancer. Um, it, it's, it's been great, you know, to have them around. Um, but what they do is they make sure that the people are getting uh, medical care, uh, eye care, dental care. Uh, they're, they're making sure that they uh, have food available, uh, clothing available. Uh, they take care of them on, on, the, on the farms and the racetracks. Uh, you know, and especially uh, the, the jockeys, you know, that have, that have been uh, paralyzed and, you know, permanently disabled uh, you know, through, through our industry. And, and again, it, it goes back to showing you that, um, you know, it's very important particularly these people because they're important to our economy as a whole throughout the country. And, and uh, you know, we've got to take care of the horses that, that uh, got us to, uh, to the Derby, to the Preakness, to the Belmont, to the Breeders' Cup, to the, uh, you know, to the world, uh, all the world-class uh, horse shows, uh, the Olympics, uh, you know, that type. Uh, you know, that, that's what it's all about, is, is a community. And, and you know, I keep going back. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. But the high thing, I'll tell you what it is and what it stands for. They get some things that are going on now that are changing. It's going to be, you know, good for, for the horses. But what it does, is like, like we did here at the point, you've got to have an organized plan. You've got to have a daily schedule, a rigorous day schedule. Everything struggle every day. You know, it's uh, it's tough. It's tough. You got to start uh, getting up at the same time, be consistent, uh, you know, do everything, check all your boxes on a picture, you check everything, everything's done, you know, and, and you do that. And that. That's what we're trying to do. And that's what I like about Heisen. It's brought all the rules and regulations together transportation, medical, um, ownership, transfer, uh, um, how, how to run your business, you know, taxes, everything. They got everything. It's all in one book now. 
And so if you go to that book, you've got all your questions answering that you might have. So, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a tough business. Life is tough in itself. Now I've really got y'all screwed up for, <laughs> for my talk of the day. If you're listening to me, buddy, you're in trouble. <laughs> That's for sure. But at the end of the day, I got a smile on my face. I'm doing good, you know, and, and I look forward to tomorrow, to the racing tomorrow. You know, I like Forte, the favorite of the Derby. Um, what a story that is. Um, you know, he, he came through. He, he was far, far the best horse of all the three-year-olds going into the Derby. And like we were saying before, you never can tell what's going to happen, you know, in the horse business, be it show horses, race horses, you know, whatever. Um, you know, the weather was good. He was doing good. He was winning races on top of the heat, as they say. And then it comes up and he gets a, he gets a stone bruise. Uh, he had some, med- he had some uh, uh, medical violation issues at one time. You know, he's had to hold nine yards. And so everybody got mad because he got scratched out of the derby, which knocked him out of the pregnancy. And so now he's coming back for, um, uh, from the field, uh, in the Jim Dandy up at Saratoga. And that's going to really be uh, an interesting race. <laughs> Nobody wants to run against all the best ones, so we ended up with a five-horse field. And a lot of these horses were derby horses. We got the hit show. He's, he's going to make a good deal. Uh, Ray Cox has got three in there. He's got Saudi Crown, Angel of Empire. Uh, Forte, uh, which is Fletcher's horse, and Disarm, which is you know, Steve Ashmussen. And all at one time, uh, during, during the uh, pre-derby and, and throughout the summer so far, these horses have made a statement on who they are and what they are and where they're going. And, uh, you know, back back all winter long, a lot of these horses had to deal with, uh, with weather-related issues, injuries, everything. So this is kind of like we're going to see. Uh, if, if uh, Forte is going to be the horse that, uh, that he uh, looked like he was going to be uh, earlier in the year. Uh, and then we're going to see if any of these horses got a little older and got a little better. And here it is, July 29th, a month from now, uh, we're going to be looking at the Travers, which is, they call it the Summer Derby, uh, you know, uh, Summer Derby for February. So that, that's really a big one. And, and the reason I'm, I'm telling you about these, these races here, these are races that stamp your horse whether he's going to be a stallion, a good stallion, or not a good stallion. It's about where you race. Uh, there's a lot of horses that won the Derby that never became good stallions. There's a, whole, a lot of horses that, that ran second, third, fourth, and became great stallions. They didn't run in the Derby. They didn't run in the So this week it's going to be interesting to see what we do here. Uh, org. We'll have those races live. We get racing live from Saratoga today on there. Uh, but, you know, this is what it's all about. It's all about, you know, being organized. It's all about giving a good product, no matter what breed or, you know, what you're doing. And I rambled on enough, you know, but you kind of get the point. You organize, enjoy your day, start off every day on, on an organized level. Have all your projects written down, and then that way, at the end of the day, you can say, "Oh man, I, why did I do this? When did I do this?" You can see where you where you uh, fail or where you succeed, and uh, it's all about organization. And you know, uh, the horse industry is in a good position. Just remember, horse people out there are supporting us in every state in this country. So we'll listen. I have you listen next week. Um, on Friday, what is next Friday, doggone it? We gotta get, we gotta get up there. That's the, that's the fourth, I believe, isn't it? So get on my list there. Friday, Friday the fourth. Next week, I promise you, I'll have video. I'm gonna blow you off. Thanks for joining us. I'm using actually.